This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So, Will, uh, a couple months ago, after service, I had my collar on, and I decided I'm just going to leave it on, like all day. So I went to Mariano's, and there I am picking up a few things. I'm in the olive section because I love green olives, so I'm picking out some olives. And this woman comes running up to me. She must be in, like, in her 60s. She looks sort of like dark complexion, Mediterranean, maybe Italian. And she comes up to me and she says, oh, Father, oh, Father, I'm so glad to see you. And uh, I, pro- I think she probably thinks I'm a Catholic priest, so I start to explain, well, I'm not really a Roman Catholic priest, but she doesn't care. She says, Father, 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 I got to talk to you. I say, okay, what's going on? She says, um, my daughter is dating this guy, and he's not going to church, and they're not going to church together. And so I, you know, ask a few really penetrating pastoral questions, and, and then uh, and she's giving me some more information, and then I say, uh, I start like this. I start, well, I've experienced in these situations, blah, 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 and I give her this advice, which I can no longer remember, and she looks at me sort of stunned, and she grabs my hands, and she goes, thank you, Father, thank you, and then she walks away. Now, that little encounter was, to me, first of all, epitomized the glory of pastoral ministry, ordained ministry. Because as Canon Stephen likes to say, you know, the collar is, it's not about me, it's about the church. You represent the church. And so she was coming to the church. And I think about the glory of pastoral ministry, the the beauty of being able to, so I've been doing this for 27 years in different contexts, not always as an Anglican, but just the glory of being able to walk with people through some of the most tender and profound and glorious and blissful and joyous, and at the same time, the most confusing and painful experiences of their life. It's an incredible experience. And so I want to say, and and to preach the word of God and to administer the sacraments, and I want to say, this is a marvelous, marvelous thing. It's amazing. But also, that little vignette also showed me the potential dark side of pastoral ministry. And I had this feeling that as I walked away, with my olives from Mariano's, I had this feeling that it's sort of what Spider-Man must feel like when he's got his Spidey suit on and somebody comes up to him in Mariano's and says, hey, hey, Spidey, there's some lady that's, that somebody stole her purse and you got to go chase the guy. And you think, wow, I'm Spider-Man. I am a superhero. Of course I do that. <laughs> so there's this underlying sort of dark side that people begin to think of us as some sort of extraordinary Christian. That's not the bad part. The bad part is that we start to believe that somehow, that somehow we are some low-level superhero. And there's a dark side to that. In the gospel reading, which you yourself have been meditating on a lot, you told me, Jesus is going to attack this dark side. He's going to diagnose it like a surgeon, and he's going to say, this is sick. This is diseased. This is unhealthy. And every Christian could fall into this, but I think there's a special way that it's this disease afflicts 
people in pastoral ministry. And Jesus, like a good doctor, he's going to give us the diagnosis, and then he's going to give us the cure because he has a vision for health, healthy spiritual leadership. That's what he wants us to get to. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to ask you to turn to that because it begins in verse 2, and we're not going to have time to go into all the details of this passage, but in verse 2, Jesus says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' feet, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. So when you hear the words scribes and Pharisees, do not think, as the church has sometimes done, much to our shame, do not think, oh, those Jews... They were always getting it wrong. No, think, oh, us. We can get it wrong. Anybody in spiritual leadership in any capacity can get this wrong. So think of us. And Jesus diagnoses two diseases. And I'll use two images for these diseases. The first one is about the gap. And the second one is the pedestal. So since they're diseases, let me add something on the end. I see two medical doctors out there. I hope this works. Gapitis, okay? An inflammation of the gap. And then also pedestalitis, an inflammation or an unnatural growth or infection of the pedestal. So let's talk about gapitis. Preaching is this thing we do, and this thing that all of us will have seen the Lord gift you in this. And you've had excellent training and you've worked at it, and we love your preaching and feel like it's a gift to the church. And wherever you go, it will be a gift. But there is a danger to preaching. And Jesus talks about it in verse 3. He says, they preach, but they do not practice. So there's always going to be a gap between what we say and how we live our lives because we're not perfect, because we, every time we preach, we are a sinner preaching to fellow sinners. But when that gap becomes too large, when it becomes inflamed with an infection, disease, we're in trouble. So here's this thing about preaching. This self-deception, I didn't even call it a, a seduction of preaching and teaching. And anybody that preaches and teaches in any context, you're, you're, we're, we're all susceptible to this. So we study, we, we study the biblical text, we shape a sermon, we put words around it, we make it uh, appealing, and we make it interesting, and we make it intriguing, or well, at least we hope, and then we deliver it. And then here's the self-deception. Because we've done all that, we think we've mastered it. And now we can move on to the next lesson. That's where the gap comes. And Jesus says in verse 4, this not only affects us, but it affects people around us. So he says, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and, buy, and put, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. In other words, they, because we think we've mastered this, we've become self-righteous. we become self-righteous like, I got this. I know this. Why can't you people get this? Why are you so slow? And that's when the gap becomes dangerous. Now, when I was, I've mentioned this before, when I was preaching out on Long Island, so at this church out on Long Island, uh, independent Bible church, really no bishop over me, no leadership over me. It was a really lonely, scary place to be. 
but I was preaching probably 45 Sundays out of the year, 40 to 45-minute sermons. Um, I would write complete manuscripts. I would make them available to the congregation. I had footnotes with my manuscripts. I mean, these were like, these were like scholarly works. But the gap was growing bigger and bigger. And suddenly I found myself, I don't like where I'm at. That's gapitis. The second one is pedestalitis. That not so much that people want us to put, a, put us on a pedestal, because there will be people that will want to put you on a pedestal, and there will be people that want to take you off of that pedestal. <laughs> and you cannot control any of that. But we can control our own response to the pedestal. So here's the pedestal. Here's how Jesus puts it in verse 5. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. The verb there, to be seen, is, is literally the Greek word theathanai, which comes from the word theater. We want to be theatrical. We want to be seen. We want to make theater. Now, earlier in Matthew chapter 6, a text we read every Ash Wednesday, Jesus said, went even deeper into this. And he said in chapter 6, verse 1, he said, do not do your deeds, your righteous deeds before others to be seen by them. For once you do that, you've had your whole reward. Don't do it just to be seen. And then in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gives six examples of what this looks like, what this I want to put myself up on a pedestal looks like. Now, here's the thing, because I've talked to a lot of pastors in my years in pastoral ministry. I know my own heart. Sometimes we go into the pastoral ministry because we have a wound. We have been wounded, and we have experienced the grace of God, and it has begun to heal that wound, and it's really beautiful, and we want other people to experience that. And that is a really beautiful thing. But because we're fallen sinners living in a fallen world, the, the wound is never healed, not completely in this life. And so we can take that wound, and rather than take it to the Lord for healing, we begin to take it to our pastoral success for healing. What people say about us, what people think about us, do they, do they, do they want me on the pedestal? Are they trying to take me off the pedestal? Do they approve? Did I preach well this time? Did I, did I do this well? And so we go to them to be justified, not by faith in the Lord Jesus, but justified by our performance. And it is the human condition. We all do that. So it's not unique to pastoral ministry. But there is a special way that's unique to pastoral ministry because we're doing things for God. We're doing things for God, and we're trying to help people in the name of the Lord, and so it's easy to not see what we're doing and how we're trying to heal that wound. And we start to think of ourselves not only as a low-level superhero, but as, a, as a, some kind of savior, some kind of messiah. And I think that's why Jesus said in verses 8 and 9, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and call no man father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. I, is Jesus literally saying we can't call anybody a father? Like I can't even call, you can't even call your own dad father? 
I, I don't think he's saying that. I think this is one of Jesus' hyperbolic statements to say, look, when you get that, when you get, when people try to put that label on you and you take that in and you try to do that in a kind of a theatrical, to be seen kind of way, run from that. Renounce that. Reject that. Now, Jesus is not opposed to greatness. He's not opposed to ambition. And that's what I love about Jesus. So in verses 11 and 12, he's, verse 11 and 12, he says, here's his, here's, his, here's his Rx, here's his prescription. The greatest among you shall be called your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let me put it this way. Will, in order to just have a life of healthy, fruitful pastoral ministry, be intentional about and learn to savor pastoral hiddenness in the company of the Lord Jesus. That is really the key. In his company, in union with him, learn to be intentional about and learn to savor pastoral hiddenness. Have you ever baked bread? That's a joke, because Will bakes a lot of bread, okay? And I remember at the beginning of COVID, you made me a really nice loaf of bread. And remember, when the disease was just so confusing, we stood about 12 feet apart and talked, and you tossed me the loaf of bread <laughs> wrapped in plastic. And I put it in my plastic bag, and I went home and washed my hands because I thought you might have had it, you know, so. But I appreciate that loaf of bread. But, you know, I've made bread once. And I think the yeast does most of the work, right? And it's hidden. You don't see it, right? It's that hiddenness where the real power takes place. That's like the Christian life. It's a secret, hidden places in company with Jesus. Hugh Peterson said this, pastoral work consists of modest, daily, assigned work. It is like farm work. Most pastoral work involves routines similar to cleaning out the barn, mucking out the stalls, spreading manure, pulling weeds. You are at your pastoral best when you are not noticed. Let me just give you three examples of pastoral hiddenness for, for both of you, Will and Emma. And these are both things that you can practice and practice in your marriage, practice in your ministry together. First, there's the hiddenness of prayer. Jesus called it your storeroom. That's like the yeast in the dough of your ministry. And the longer I'm in pastoral ministry, the more I think I'm growing in skills and the more I need prayer, that hidden work of prayer. Secondly, there's a hidden work of preaching and teaching. It is the most public thing that you do. But the prayer, exegesis, fasting, prayer, exegesis, writing, prayer, you're asking the Holy Spirit to do a hidden work on you first. Tim Keller put it this way, preach in such a way that it becomes evident that you yourself have been humbled, wounded, healed, comforted, and exalted by the text that you're preaching on. People will know that. They'll see that in you. And then third, the hidden work of loving 
the powerless. And this is something that you two do together so well. And I know this is just something Emma is just especially gifted at. So continue to do this together. You can't fix everybody, and you can't take on too much. But make time in your schedule to walk with the poor, the powerless, the crushed, the unseen, the forgotten. Again, you already do that. And Emma is a beautiful model to all of us about how to do that. I say that by way, I stir you up by way as a reminder. So Will and Emma, be intentional. Be intentional about this hiddenness of walking with Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus is our great physician? Aren't you glad that he not only tells us the cure, but he actually heals us? And that he is a friend of sinners? And that he came not for the righteous, not for the well, but for the sick? Will and Emma, we believe in you. And we believe in you not so much because you got this or you have Jesus, but because he has you. And we are honored to participate with you in that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.